Have you ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound a little too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. What's going on, everyone? It's Friday, June 10th. I'm Zachary Crockett. Juliet Bennett-Rylett and Jacob Cohen are in the house. Ooh. And you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, JC, that's what we call him around here, he's going to take us through the tale of a bizarre norm-breaking baseball team. We're also going to talk through two controversial things that tech CEOs want. One, a permanent job performance file for their employees, and two, workers back in the office. All right, before we get into all that, Juliet is going to fill us in on a couple things that are going on in business and tech. All right. So Spotify revealed that its podcast business pulled in about $212 million in revenue in 2021. That's up 300% year over year. But there is a catch, as always. Due to its losses, the division had a negative 57% gross margin and expects higher losses in 2022. Anchor, which makes phone chargers, power banks, and all kinds of other tech charging gadgets, reached $1 billion in annual sales on Amazon in 2021, making it the most successful Amazon native brand. Third-party sellers, many of which are unvetted, still make up about 56% of all sellers on Amazon, though, so be careful who you buy from. Meta halted development on a smartwatch that was scheduled to be released in spring of 2023 and cost $349. The watch was expected to include activity tracking, music playback, and messaging. Meta is reportedly shifting resources to other devices for the wrist. Our guess is that most likely means gold bracelets with Zuckerberg's face on them. (laughs) The PGA Tour suspended 17 players for competing on the LIV Golf Tour, which is backed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Suspended players include Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, and Sergio Garcia. And lastly, gas prices just hit a national average of $5 per gallon, and we are all buying bicycles, mm. except for me. Right, yeah, but right. bicycles aren't even available. There's none in stock anyway. Supply chain. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me tell you about this thing called a train. Uh. I love to talk about it on the pod. Yeah. All right, Jacob, I hear your delicious laugh coming in. What do we oh, got gosh. on this baseball team front here? <laughs> delicious laugh. That's a new one. Yes, I just wanted to discuss something that I thought... People might find interesting. Perhaps a few people have heard of them, seen them. Perhaps a few people haven't. And that is a baseball team, a minor league collegiate baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. Hmm. And they're in the business of making baseball fun. So I'm going to just talk about them for a sec. Now, uh, I don't know if you watch baseball a lot. I personally am not a humongous fan of baseball. I have some roommates who watch it nonstop. But it is hard to argue with the fact that baseball is pretty boring for the average Joe, right? In 2020... It's it's struggling right now, baseball. It's struggling big time. 
with this exact problem. Even people in baseball admit it's a problem. In 2020, the average MLB game lasted over three hours, but saw fewer hits than almost any season since 1909. And, you know, representative of this was a recent Oakland A's game that had just about a little over 2,000 fans, and the stadium can fit almost 50,000. So it's like, what? it's just a representative of the problem at large. So it's perhaps not so surprising that this minor league team, the Savannah Bananas, who have the singular goal of doing the opposite of whatever is normal in baseball, have sold out every game since their founding in 2016. Wow. Hmm. And really what they do is they just try to make baseball and baseball games fun. So you can kind of think of them as baseball's Harlem Globetrotters, but really they're on a whole nother level. Games include things like Pitchers doing pitches on stilts, batters batting while doing splits, coaches doing ballet. You know, they don't have classic pretty girls cheerleaders. They have grandma cheerleaders over 65 years old known as the banana nanas. How about that? They also got rid of ads. You know, you go to a baseball game, the whole stadium is splattered in corporate sponsorship. Mm -hmm. They got rid of that. 97% of their revenue comes from fans. (laughs) They also have free food. Every ticket is general admission. That's huge. And includes food, which is like great because if you go to a baseball game, you end up spending more money on Cracker Jacks and a beer. Yeah. Then you, you like a $9 hot dog. Exactly. <laughs> Dodger Stadium, $14 mm-hmm. beers. And- right. So the team really views its stadium as an entertainment venue. You know, I was reading some, I, I think it was an interview with the founder who was describing, they view it as the different parts of their stadium, like the parking lot, the entrance, the concourse, the seats, the field, as stages of this entertainment venue, and they perform as such. And they have this hugely popular TikTok account that's exploded. It has three times as many, thrice as many (laughs) followers, almost three million followers as the most popular MLB team's TikTok account. Wow. And their founder, this guy, Jesse Cole, is really an interesting dude. He's a real business strategist. I was looking at text from some podcast he did where he was describing the team's mindset for innovation and he was talking about all different kinds of things like creativity. They host a Idea Palooza monthly event where they just brainstorm crazy ideas. He visits places like Disney and Las Vegas just to get inspiration for, <laughs> for entertainment stuff. And he was describing how they try to embrace a practice from 3M, which is like the $80 billion company right. behind post notes <laughs> and scotch tape, yeah, in which every new product line is expected to generate 25% of revenue within five years. Hmm. So they've launched things like a banana cream soda drink. Hmm. They tried out a kind of a $5 streaming service kind of thing. And uh, they're very scrappy like that and entrepreneurial. And they also have a great sense of community building. Their staff make 300,000 calls a year to thank fans, merchandisers, other partners, just because. Hmm. And it's pretty cool. And they now have a 15,000 person waiting list for tickets. They've been named one of the top employers in sports. And it's just a cool story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like going to a circus or something. It's like, it's just mm-hmm. totally antithetical yeah. to sports. That's what yeah. it is. I mean, he's Jesse Cole. He goes to circuses hmm. and takes notes about what they could bring to their game. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. It's the circus. <laughs> and uh, it's humongously popular. I like this. I wonder if they plan to like break other norms, uh, like maybe having mixed gender teams or something, or mm. breaking some of the other stereotypes of barriers that other sports teams have. Yeah, that could be very interesting. I mean, they're extraordinarily experimental. 
I think they're of the mindset if something makes the game more entertaining for someone, they're going to try it out. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, it feels like they have a very uh, whimsical spirit. Like they don't take themselves too seriously. They're mm-hmm. just willing to try anything. Oh, yes. They are going to try anything. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture right now of this guy, the guy on stilts. Like he's batting yeah. on a pair of like seven foot high stilts or something and the umpire is like standing on a chair behind the catcher to adjust for the strike sound it's pretty wild stuff yeah it's hilarious and fans love it i was reading people come from alaska to see the games in savannah this is savannah georgia they come four hours early to the game (laughs) because it's entertainment Mm -hmm. what other baseball game in history have fans showed up four hours early to wow (laughs) doesn't happen now, are they doing these antics during the actual game? Yeah. And if so, like, that's probably not in the minor league rule book, right? Like, right. So they actually created a new rule book. Okay. I believe they call it Banana Ball. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the stuff they introduced there came with the purpose of trying to speed up the game and just add a lot of entertainment value and take mm-hmm. out the boring parts. And I think they also started another team that they just play against each other all the time so they can play Hmm. this game and not have to find other teams who are willing to play with their rules. They're totally reinventing stuff, yeah. (laughs) I mean, looking at their TikTok, are they attracting people who ordinarily wouldn't be interested in sports? I read this great quote from Jesse Cole, the guy who founded them, saying basically they want people who would normally hate baseball to feel they have to watch the game. It's that Mm. fun and exciting. And so I think that's their goal. I mean, baseball is trending down in popularity in the United States. And if anything, this shows that they're attracting a younger crowd to some form of the sport. And I'm sure the MLB has taken notice. Hmm. I'm sure there are other people out there who have taken notice who are probably considering starting their own Savannah Bananas in other cities. I wouldn't be surprised if 10 years from now there's an entire league around the United States that plays this way. and <laughs> Banana League, nice. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like Barstool Sports wanted to start a team like sure. this of some kind. You know, stuff like that is probably going to happen over the next decade. <laughs> hmm, very cool. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears into our next story here. I know this is a shocker, but some tech CEOs recently said something a little controversial, right, Juliet? They want to have a permanent publicly available job performance file. What does that mean exactly? Right. And and to be clear, this is just a little chat they were having, uh, sure. you know, so it's not it's not necessarily something that's entirely in motion. But I think it kind of plays into something we talk about a lot here, which is just like the way the workforce is changing, the way people want to work from home and they don't want to be tied to a desk all day and they want to integrate their lives and their work and not have it be this hustling all the time. I get up at six in the morning and then I work, <laughs> at, you know, that sort of thing that we talk about a lot. So. The issue here is uh, Oren Hoffman. He's the CEO of a data broker called SafeGraph. He hosts a podcast called World of DAS. That is D-A-A-S as in data as a service. Last month, his guest was Charlie Uakim, who's the CEO of a buy now, pay later company called Sezzle. So according to Vice, they were having a little chat about prospective employees and how useful it would be if there were a repository of data out there that lets employers know all about how applicants did at their previous companies. Hmm. And this also, speaking of the whole work from home thing, I I feel like we've seen a lot of CEOs and leaders be like, how can I monitor my employees more? Like, how can I put things on their computer so I can make sure they're working from home? And now it's like, how can I also monitor them in the past? Um, 
<laughs> such a thing, but I had mm. nothing to do with them. What were they like then? And, you know, a lot of HR experts are like, yeah, this would be a problem. If such a thing were to exist, it could be a problem if, say, your boss at one job didn't like you or yeah. you weren't really given the tools to succeed. So you kind of just showed up every day and did the bare minimum and went at home and there's nothing there to, you know, write right. home about. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of room for, like, subjective manipulation. <laughs> in that right. And I mean... There already is like we we already know that performance reviews can contain some element of bias. A lot of people mm-hmm. base the reviews of other people on on how much like them they are. Yeah, and these yeah. are now the sort of things that could lead to further hiring bias if they were allowed to follow you around for the rest of your life. Yeah. And an interesting anecdote here is, I guess, Yuakim actually once tested a candidate to see if they were too entitled to work for him by asking to meet for a coffee at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. That was like one method he used to find a good candidate. And I just feel like that's not a good. No, that's not a good method. (laughs) Ah. Like, can I inconvenience you right off the bat? To me, signals that you're not going to be a good boss. So I would probably say no. And I guess, yeah, we're at a stalemate Uh, there. I'm sure he's a great guy, but that's such a douche move. That is, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. And I feel like that's what used to be popular, right? Like you used to be like, this is how you're going to get a job and you're going to go prove yourself that you'll do anything and you're so dedicated. Yeah. And I just feel like that's not where we are anymore as as a society, as a <laughs> yeah, workforce. That, that reminds me, there's like a classic joke that goes around these days on TikTok where it's like Gen Z, the caption is like parents of kids who are like Gen Z age saying to them, like, why don't you go bring your resume to the CEO? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just like go to the office and like, and it's just not how it works. But but yeah, this is a humongous trend now that I've been hearing all about. Uh, I know Coinbase, I think it was reported just last week or maybe two weeks ago, started using some pretty interesting, is one word for it, uh, employee kind of tracking software where people can rate right after a meeting how their <laughs> colleagues basically performed in that meeting, hmm. um, which is interesting. You know, I was just talking to a friend who was saying that, you know, they've been trying to be sold on employee tracking softwares. They've had all these different companies reaching out to them saying, we can do all these things. We can show you how every employee is spending their time, everything they're looking at on their computer. And she was saying, mm-hmm. that's not what we want, <laughs> you know. We don't really want that at our company, but it seems like there are some people who do. (laughs) All right. So this totally reminds me of this anecdote I recently read. Um, The CEO of Overstock.com, Jonathan Johnson, he was talking about how he invited his young coworkers to join him for lunch every Tuesday at the company's headquarters. And he saw it as like this big gesture, this big opportunity for young people to interact with him. And he said over eight months, only 10 people took him up on that offer. And he had this like funny quote where he was like, yeah, you know, most of the time I just eat my peanut butter sandwich alone. <laughs> like nobody comes to eat lunch with me. And it, it kind of sparked this big debate about entitlement. And you had a lot of people in tech saying, when I was 25, you know, I would have jumped at the opportunity to go eat a sandwich at the CEO of my company and network and advance But then you have other people saying like, you know, um, I don't really want to eat my lunch with you, dude. Like I, this is like, this is like my time of day. This is my time to escape from work. Mm -hmm. But it does kind of transition into our final topic here, which is, you know, we've talked about a lot about work from home and how it's going to change the workplace. Obviously, there are companies dealing with this in wildly different ways. We recently saw Elon Musk threaten to essentially fire anyone who didn't come back to the office and work 40 hours a week in the office. Other companies are just accepting it as a new reality. You know, here at HubSpot, we have a flexible remote plan, for instance. But some interesting data has been coming out recently 
Apparently, 50% of all companies in the United States want their workers back in the office five days a week. Mm -hmm. And and firms all over the U.S. are fighting to make this happen. The problem is that on the other side, the data is almost exactly inverse. 60% of workers who've been working from home don't want to give up the lifestyle. They want to stay working (laughs) from home. So we're at this impasse. We're at this standstill. And it's still a worker's market right now. A lot of companies are bending backwards to try to recruit employees in this environment. They're doing things like buying beanbag chairs and ping pong tables and reverting to some of those, you know, 2006 tech world tactics to get workers back into the office with, you know, cereal bars and snacks and stuff like that. (laughs) But a lot of companies are starting to curtail their expectations of these demands. Apple recently suspended its requirement that employees return to the office at least three days a week. McKinsey, this consulting firm that's notorious for in-person communication, And strict standards about that recently said that they're going to set agreements with their clients on an individual basis. Google postponed its return to the office, Intuit. So all of these companies are, you know, rethinking their approaches to getting these workers back in the office. It's fascinating. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's kind of ironic because so many of these companies are companies whose products and who have just trumpeted the idea of remote work and sure and and they literally build products to conduct remote work, and yet they themselves. Aren't sure if it's the best way to go. (laughs) Jacob, you're one of the few people I know basically sitting alone in this enormous office in Boston a couple (laughs) days a week, right? Yeah, I mean, HubSpot's, I think there are over 5,000 employees worldwide now. The headquarters is in Boston. It's a very, very large building. It's multiple buildings. And there are a few areas where people congregate. But there are areas, you know, HubSpot hasn't required people to come back into the office. They're very flexible around this Mm -hmm. topic. And there are areas in the office that are empty, which is nice. You know, I like working in kind of like feels like a library setting. Kind of nice for me. But but I know it's not the gung-ho, like everyone in an office together, like shooting the shit kind of vibe <laughs> that some people mm-hmm. might, right. might want or might be used to in the past. Mm-hmm. So it is an interesting time to work at a tech company in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we should say here, like a lot of Americans have been working in person this entire time, all the way through the pandemic. Retail Mm -hmm. workers, warehouse workers, restaurant workers, delivery drivers. And we spend a lot of time talking about the work from home debate, but, you know, it's hard to kind of garner a wider sympathy for people who have desk jobs not wanting to return to the office when millions of Americans are out in the streets every day still (laughs) just doing their job as usual. It's so true. Um, Well, there is a silver lining for those people because I know people who worked out in the field um, the entire pandemic. And one thing that they said when everyone else was at home was it was nice to not have so much traffic. Like if you put the people that do not have to be driving every day in their houses, then you kind of do free up the roads for the people that do need to be there. And I know we in Los Angeles experienced a lot less pollution. So I don't know, maybe there's something to like selecting selectively, like when do you actually have to be at work? Because I think sometimes people mm. want you to come to work and just sit there. Like I've worked in restaurants where obviously that's an in-person job, but they were like, well, it's really slow today, but I told you you had to come in. So you're going to all sit here. <laughs> right. It's just like a symbolic thing or something. <laughs> yeah, I think at the beginning there was a lot of that silver lining, less pollution, less traffic. I think it's kind of evened out now. But mm-hmm. also there's a point where we're all like remote is the future. And then there's a point where it was all like, Hybrid is actually the future. Mm-hmm. And now I've been reading a lot of pieces about, you know, hybrid is actually worse than remote or worse than full time in the office because it's too complicated. Sure. Everyone's kind of still figuring things out. The workers want one thing. 
companies want another thing. Uh, you also have to think from the company's perspective, like these companies, they don't sign like, you know, eight month leases on apartments. They're, they're signing right. like right. 15 year leases on massive buildings that probably aren't super easy to just get out of when if no one happens to show up one day. Right. Maybe they could um, repurpose them into affordable housing. <laughs> you know, maybe they could. <laughs> Please. Especially in cities like, uh, I don't know, San Francisco. Yeah, that would be nice. The New York Times had a great story on this whole debate. And there was one quote in there that I found to just be like really illuminating on how some business operators are thinking about this problem. A junior employee came to this tech CEO and he said, look, I don't understand why I should be required to commute. Like working from home allows me to balance productivity with my social life. And I have this jujitsu hobby that I really enjoy. And I have time to train. And I have time to do things in my life. And the CEO responded by saying, if you want to be an MMA fighter, go do that. And you know, <laughs> that may be kind of an outlier response, but I find it kind of indicative of the broader philosophy, like if you're not 100% invested in your work, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> or as if we shouldn't have time to actually pursue our hobbies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying on <laughs> Twitter the other day, I was like, I don't identify as like a girl boss. I'm, I feel like I'm more of a girl rogue, like in a in like a Dungeons and Dragons. Like, just tell me what my assignments are and then I'm going to mm. go do that. Don't talk <laughs> to me while I do them. Trust my methods. Yeah, then yeah. I'm going to come back yeah. and I'm going to be like, look, all of, I finished all of these quests for you. And then you'll be like, oh, here is your, you know, 20 gold coins and 10 experience points. Like, I think that's, that's a great what I like. Point. I think a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of times, probably a lot of leaders at, at companies, especially tech companies, think that everyone is super passionate about the company and their products and their services and, and what they do. Mm-hmm. When in reality... The people just want to do their job, enjoy the people they work with, and make money. Yeah. yeah. Many of them can probably feel like they can accomplish those things from home. Right. And there's only so much passion a person can have in life. You, you can be passionate about, like, I'm passionate about my work, the things that I do at work. I am not passionate about whatever someone else in another department that I don't even know about is doing. Right. Because I am also passionate about things in my life. And I feel like we have long lived in a society where people are like, your job should be the number one thing in your life, unless you have a family, in which case that's the number one thing in your life. And you also can't be a CEO because you have a family. And I also think there has long not been a lot of trust. Like, yes, if, yeah. if someone doesn't come to the office every single day, like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, this job, I'm here 10 <laughs> minutes early, then like they don't trust you to do your work. Yeah. But I mean, most people do. Most people show up and they do what they're supposed to do and they do it well and they don't need to be told to. I think, I think you nailed it. Like to me, this is a trust issue. Employers should not be treating their workers like little children who are incapable of managing their time appropriately. (laughs) We are all grown people. We have many years of experience. And I think in general, some of these employers who are reticent should just instill more trust in their workers. Why did they hire them in the first place? They're good. Mm -hmm. I do think, though, if you ask me, I'm almost 24. And, you know, there are a lot of young people that work at these companies who are just starting their jobs, just getting out of college, it would be pretty nice to uh, be at the office with a bunch of folks in that same position. Mm -hmm. For work reasons, networking, social reasons, I feel like a lot of times, you know, the older you get in this situation, like the less necessarily value you would derive out of going to the office every day. 
But I think there are some situations. <laughs> also, depending on what you do in your role, it could be useful to be in person. But in general, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I mean, I, Americans are having midlife crises at like 32 now. So <laughs> oh, I think gosh. we're realizing it at younger and younger ages, you know, how valuable time is and how finite it is. Right. And I, I do think people are pretty lonely, especially in America. And I think we saw that not just because of the pandemic, but I think you do get to an age where it's like, oh, I'm not making friends in college anymore. I guess I make friends at work. And then if you can't make friends at work because you don't have coworkers, like I definitely can understand how people might want that to be a place where they meet other people, mm-hmm. which I think it's still cool when employers offer those sort of like, hey, why don't you and your team all go out to dinner or something? The sort of voluntary like. You're not at work, you know, you're in a place where you can get to know your coworkers as people. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. As always, thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. Go check it out and we'll see you all next week.